Welcome to Cultivating Change, Stories of Regenerative Ag, the podcast from SIBO Technologies that digs deep into the transformative power of regenerative farming programs. I'm your host, Billy Kripe. Let's get started. In this podcast, we are talking about ROI and incentives to start regenerative agriculture programs. Farmers already shoulder an immense financial burden and risk every year in operating expenses, capital improvements, and the costs of doing business as farmers. Regenerative programs and carbon prices are increasingly taking this into account as new opportunities emerge for growers to participate in incentive programs. In this third part of Breaking Down the Farm Gate, Dan Ryan continues the conversation with Jamie McKinnon, SVP of Carbon Programs at A New Climate, Jamie Ridgely, Director of Program Development and Carbon Services at Lando Lakes Truterra, and Ryan Findlay, Regional Lead Business Development for Carbon Banking at Rabobank. Let's join the conversation. I think programs that are being rolled out, we're sort of telling the farmers to take a, a leap um, and take take on costs and risk, uh, not to mention the complexity of getting into one of these programs and the data collection and not knowing what the return will be. Um, and, you know, I think we can all agree that in, you know, the three or five year window of time, there's a return on doing these things, you know, it, to the to the farmer, potentially to the landowner as well. But there's a gap there that has to be bridged. And I, you know, I, that can be done through finances. It can be done with the promise of higher value on, you know, on credits. It can be done with agronomic support, with education. Um, how do you see that? I mean, how, Jamie, one, you can start first. How do you see an optimal program? I mean, is it, I will give you agronomic support and $50 a ton. I mean, what, what's the, what's the, there's no threshold, but what starts the acceleration of these, of this adoption more quickly? Right. So I think from my own personal experience, and then it does, this is uh, certainly informed by what, what I see, you know, my husband doing from a decision-making standpoint on our own farm and, and our, our peers here in our local community, um, as well as our work with the retail network. A lot of it is, um, you know, sort of creating uh, the support mechanism and bringing this into the daily conversation. This isn't a decision that you make once. It's a decision that you make over and over and over and over again. And so um, what we are really working hard to do at Trutera is to really think about, if you think of the, you know, we, we've known a, in the traditional soil and water conservation planning field, which is a, 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 you know, a wonderful field, mostly filled by um, academics and USDA folks traditionally over the last several decades, um, but they've done tremendous work. We know a lot about how farmers transition into these practices and how they're successful. We know a, long, a lot about the long-term soil health benefits, um, but what we haven't done a really great job of doing is how do we integrate all of all of that great information and learning into the private sector so that we can really scale that and look at how to make that complementary. And so um, I think that is really key. Um, it's what is the thing? that kind of creates that tipping point on a farmer by farmer basis is going to be different on a farmer by farmer basis. It depends on the geography. It depends on uh, what are the neighbors doing? And that's not, that's not a joke. That's real. Like it, it's a big deal. We had an, you know, an instance just in our very, very localized community where they had a, diff, um, 
a uh, 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 one certain custom sprayer um, had a challenge getting uh, cover crops killed this spring um, where some growers had started planting green for the first time. It was a big deal, a really big deal. They're probably not going to try it again. Um, and so, you know, having service providers, having people who really understand a farm this way, uh, providing the appropriate networks from an advisory standpoint and a peer-to-peer standpoint with growers and creating that connectivity. Um, these are all really important things. I think it's probably more important than the exact financial incentive. To me, that's, I mean, I'm sure you can argue this many different ways. It depends on the grower. Um, but to me, that is creating that sort of both safety net from a risk standpoint, but also just more people understanding and trying, you know, helping the farmer innovate with how to fit this in to their specific system is, is really, really key. And so I, I believe that we need local advisory networks equipped to do that. If we're going to be able to make this transition at scale. Ryan, you're, you're a bank, a lender. How do you see lending actually playing, you know, in these markets I, or, or do you in, in terms of specifically to these types of practices? Yeah, I think, let me answer that question in a roundabout way. I, I, I would agree with Jamie's comment right at the end where she said, we have to have the system in place to transition to regenerative agriculture to adopt some of these practices. So that, that means having the right agronomic support that is gonna help a farmer understand their specific farm and, and more likely their specific fields on their farm and how they should approach um, certain practices. So I think that's gonna be really important. I think the other learning that we've had, there's a really small number of farmers so far that have voluntarily said, yep, I'm going to do this. Like, I want to do this. This is the right thing to do. Or that for my farm, this is the right thing. There's been a really small number that have have stepped up and said, I want to do this. We have noticed that some have have experienced a pinch point in their farming operation. And that's when they've made this decision. Maybe they feel that their financials are, are getting to a point where they just have to change something or it's, it's going to be difficult to go forward. Some of them, the supplier has pulled out. Some of them, the supplier of a, of some commodities have said, we want to see certain sustainability practices. And so they've not only done it for that commodity, but they've gone across their whole operation. So there are these interesting pinch points where a farmer makes the decision that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start to go down this road. What we have not seen is farmers respond to that income number, to that, that financial incentive. And I think that is a question that a lot of us thought, well, at some point we're going to see that response it's going to have to be pretty high in the current environment for a grower to respond to a financial incentive. I'm not saying that won't happen. And especially if we see farm financials tighten over the next couple of years, but I think that is, that is a variable that we have. So what, it, what is the, the level that it needs to get to? And is, is the premium a realistic to get there? In other words, if a farmer says, I need to have $75 an acre for me to implement these practices, is it realistic for the, the food and ag supply chain to pay $75 an acre? And, and I think everybody, farmers and the food and ag, is still trying to figure out what that point is. From a financial seat, we are trying to say, what is the opportunity to help drive this on the financial side? And, and over the last six months, I have probably heard a couple thousand times, well, we need finance to play here. We need finance to be involved in regenerative agriculture and help drive this. 
And when I talk to those individuals and I say, well, what does that mean? The first thing that they respond to or the first thing that they say is, well, it has to be um, a reduction in the interest rate. Like we should we should see half a point or a full point or more in the operating loans. And and let, let me be clear. I don't see that happening right now. <laughs> I, I think part of that is we have to be able to measure risk. You have to be able to measure the risk related to a loan. And there is so much volatility and uncertainty within how you measure that risk as it relates to regenerative that it's too difficult at this time to tie a point reduction associated with that loan to that risk that's associated with regenerative agriculture. It's something we are paying attention to. It's something that we're looking into, but that is um, right now something that we, we just don't see the opportunity to do yet. Certainly looking at loans as it relates to um, certain equipment, that is that is definitely on the table. Um, as it looks to other financial, if we look at individual products, are there players that are um, going to put together a, um, a pilot project? And that could be anywhere from the grower to agronomic advisor to um, a, somebody that does the quantification, uh, a food company, a processor. If everybody gets together, is there some financial product that would be helpful to facilitate the implementation of that project? We think that there is. I don't want to go into specifics right now just because it isn't systematic. It's not It's not something that we see across the, the entire board, but I think it is project by project right now. Um, financial products are an option. So the, the short answer to that long explanation is that there isn't a single financial product that we can hold up today and say, hey, this is the answer within regenerative agriculture. Like everything else that we're talking about, it's going to happen in iterations. We are paying attention to it as a lender. It's something that we think is going to be really important as we go forward. And, and we're engaging with a number of groups to have those conversations right now about what that could look like. Maybe if I can add, if I can add something, you know, I think two things. You know, there are um, the practice adoption is going to be incremental. You, you don't come in and do cover crops, you know, from one year to the next. And we need to recognize that it's going to take time for that. And it's very important for the sustainability of these programs to build on a suite of regenerative practices and for, not, for them not to rely on one. Uh, the risk that we cause reversals of the carbon sequestered is a risk that uh, we would certainly say is the single largest risk in all of these programs. Uh, and it's not enough attention is being paid to it uh, today. And so uh, I think, um, it, you know, it, building a suite of practices uh, that are resilient to changes uh, is, is, is really important. And uh, but you can do that by starting in a very simple manner. You know, one thing that we're looking at and we'll be rolling out a program is just crediting the use of nitrogen inhibitors. Um, the value from a carbon perspective is not particularly compelling in and of itself on a per acre basis, but it's a material offset of the cost of the nitrogen inhibitor itself. And there are no long-term requirements. It's uh, the data requirements from the grower are fairly simple. So that trade-off to, to sort of Jamie's point earlier, that the trade-off between the data, the burden, uh, uh, the the length of the commitment the grower is making, and the value is very interesting. Although it's a very different kind of proposition, value value-wise, than a more holistic program. The the last thing I'll, I'll mention that I think is really interesting. I was at a, a dairy farmers uh, uh, of Wisconsin uh, meeting 
earlier this year. And there was a lot of talk amongst dairy farmers of and their intentions behind adoption of regenerative practices and participation in programs was to fend off um, either regulatory or uh, or requirements imposed upon them by food companies down the supply chain of, no, you will do this if, we're, if you're going to procure for us. And they were very worried about that. And that was certainly a motivating factor for them to participate in voluntary programs that, that incentivize them as opposed to oblige them. Thank you for joining us on another inspiring episode of Cultivating Change, Stories of Regenerative Ag. We hope you found today's conversation enlightening and empowering. Remember, regenerative agriculture is not just about cultivating the land. It's about cultivating change. Each one of us has a role to play in restoring the health of our ecosystems and building a more sustainable world. If you enjoyed this episode and want to stay connected, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. We'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and any questions you might have. Until next time, keep sowing the seeds of resilience, nurturing our planet, and embracing regenerative practices. Together, we can create a greener, healthier future. This has been Cultivating Change, Stories of Regenerative Act. I'm your host, Billy Crichton. See you next time.